Welcome to Southwinds, and good morning. We're so glad that you are here as today we launch a six-week season in the life of our church called Next Gen. Uh, Next Gen is a spiritual initiative, and it's an initiative about what God wants to do in us and through us. See, we believe that God is, is calling Southwinds to become a regional church that not only impacts hundreds of lives today, but also thousands of lives into the next generation. They become a place, a, a place where truly uh, lives are so transformed that it transforms the spiritual landscape uh, of the West San Joaquin Valley. And seeing lives changed, life change is really what Next Gen is all about. Now, now, during these next six weeks, God is calling Southwinds to dream some God-sized dreams. He's calling us to pray. He's calling us to work for a future, a future where thousands of lost people are found, where, where broken lives are healed, where marriages are restored, where little children find new hope, where lonely people discover authentic biblical community. You know, we, we like to say around here that, that there are no perfect people allowed at Southwinds. And just this week, I recertified that we are maintaining our standards. 100%. We have not let any perfect people in. And, you know, uh, there are just lots and lots and lots of imperfect people all around us. And we're just thinking that, that God wants us to reach thousands more imperfect people just like us with his grace. You know, for some of you, this may be the first time you've ever showed up here at Southwinds, and I just want to tell you, it's your lucky day. Um, We're not going to ask anything from you today. You can just relax. You can kind of sit back and and enjoy the show, um, you know, and just uh, watch what's going on, uh, where God is taking us as a church. Now, for those of us who are part of the Southwinds family, here's where we are headed in Next Gen. Uh, If you've been here recently, you've heard me talk about NextGen's three strategic objectives to grow our campus, invest in our future, and reach our region. And just to remind you, we're going to plan to grow our campus by constructing a 700-seat worship center and then at the same time repurposing this building, the Sprung, for our student ministry, which will in turn free up the student ministry area uh, to be repurposed uh, for children's ministry. And as we do these things, it's going to allow us to strategically invest in our future. It will allow us to provide space for us to serve hundreds more students and hundreds more children every week with fresh, creative environments. And as all that is happening, we are dreaming of reaching our region and specifically by connecting 1,000 adults all across the West San Joaquin Valley to small group community. We are actually about halfway to that goal, and we hope and we are praying in the next few years that we will see another 50 groups birth to make that that dream a reality. And I just want to ask you this morning to think about something. What if by 2020, the Southwinds family of 1,250 people has become a a family of 2,020 people? What if we see in 2020 over 2,000 people worshiping God, uh, serving other people, growing to become more and more like Jesus Christ, sharing the good news, and in the process seeing hundreds and even thousands of people meeting Jesus Christ and experiencing his grace. I am dreaming about that. Are, Are you? See, I hope you are. 
But we need to be reminded today at the beginning of this journey uh, for that to happen, we're going to have to do more than dream. We're going to need to pray. And yes, we're going to need to give. And we're going to need to sacrifice all of us so that God's will can be accomplished through his family here at Southwinds. Let me remind you what we're asking every one of us to do for the next six weeks to, to join the next-gen journey. It's really very simple. We're asking all of us, most of all, to pray every day. Can you do that? Can you pray for Southwinds? Can you pray for me? Can you pray for all of our leaders that we will have wisdom and, and discernment as we walk uh, this, this path? The next thing we're asking is that everyone commit uh, as much as possible to be here every Sunday to go to your next-gen small group all six weeks in your own home. We're asking that you would seek God's direction as a, a, a family and just lead your family to seek God's leadership in a way, his, his trust in a way maybe you've never done before. Just asking, Lord, what would you have us to do to accomplish your will through Southwind's church? And that, of course, finally will lead to just all of us together giving sacrificially as God leads each one of us. I just really want to encourage you, if you haven't marked your calendar already, please mark May 22nd, Commitment Sunday, so that you can, you can be here as we conclude this journey. We really believe God's calling Southwinds to take this journey. And you know, I've been thinking about journeys, and, and I've been thinking about part of what is exciting about a journey is you don't know exactly where it's going to take you, Right? But that's also part of what makes journeys a little frightening sometime. And let's just be honest. This is a big thing, a very big thing we're talking about. We, we've told you to build the things that we believe God's calling us to build. It's going to take about $5.9 million. And there are probably some of us right now kind of struggling with this. Maybe, maybe some of us aren't really sure this is really going to happen. Some of us maybe don't know if we really want to be involved. Some of us are wondering have we bitten off more than we can chew? Is, is this going to be just too hard for us? And I want to ask a question that I want you to think about. And the question is this. When in the Bible did God ever give someone an easy job? When did God ever interrupt someone's life and say to them, I have an assignment for you, but it's not going to be hard and it's not going to take much time? And the answer, of course, is he never does. God comes to Noah and says, I have a mission for you. I'm beginning the human race all over again, and I'm going to do it with you. So go on down to Home Depot. Get yourself some wood. You need to build an ark. And while you do this, you are going to face ridicule and hostility. And then you're going to need to collect all kinds of animals. And Noah, you need to be willing to start civilization all over again from scratch, just you and your little family. But I want you to know you are not alone. I promise that I'll be with you. And I'll give you a sign to remind you of my promise and my presence. And that sign was the rainbow. And Noah said, okay, God, I don't really understand it all, but you can use me. God came to Abraham one day as we studied just uh, recently. 
And he said, Abraham, I have a mission for you. I'm going to create a new community, the people of Israel, and I want you to leave everything you know, your home, your culture, your your wealth, your family. I want you to go to a land that you do not know now. I'll tell you when you, you get there, but you just start traveling and you just start trusting me. And I promise you that on the journey, you will not be alone. I promise that I will be with you. And I'm going to give you a sign to remind you of my promise to you. And you remember that that sign was the sign of circumcision. And Abraham said, God, Noah got the rainbow. (laughs) Could we like do a secret decoder ring or maybe a secret handshake? And God said, no. And Abraham said, okay, God, I don't understand it all, but you can use me. God came to Moses and said, I want you to free my people. I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth. I want you to defy him to his face and demand that he let my people go. And Moses said, I'm slow of speech. God, send Aaron. And God said, no. And Moses said, okay, use me. Joseph goes to prison. David takes on Goliath. Esther risks her life to change the king's mind. Daniel gets thrown into a lion's den. Nehemiah rebuilds a city. The author, Max Dupree, writes, never insult someone by giving them an easy job. And God never does. God gives the ultimate assignment to Jesus to reconcile the world to himself to show the world how much God loves us by by dying on the cross. And so we read in the sacred writings, and then because Jesus had done the hard part, he gathered his followers together, and he said to them, go into all the world and have really successful careers and drive nice cars and build big houses and live safe, respectable lives. You find that one in the book of Hallucinations, (laughs) chapter 1, verse 8. It's a great verse, isn't it? You remember that one? (laughs) See, actually, that one's not anywhere in the Bible, is it? See, when Jesus prayed to his Father for his followers, for us, this is what he said. In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. We need to be reminded today that there is a reason why we're on this planet, and it's not about us. And friends, we shouldn't be surprised that God would call us to do something big, something hard, something we could never do on our own. That's how God always works. We actually should be excited, thrilled that God actually loves us enough to involve us in his kingdom plan. And we're calling this season Next Gen. And you know, there's always a sense in which following Jesus is about the future, about eternity. Following Jesus is never just about now. And so here's the next-gen question I want you to be thinking about. Are we willing to make sacrifices today so that tomorrow thousands of people in the next generation can meet Jesus? Today's part one of our next-gen journey. And today what I want to talk with you about is everyone, everyone. This journey we're calling Next Gen is going to take every one of us. It will not happen if some of us just sit on the sidelines. We're going to need every hand on deck, every one of us pitching in, every one of us sharing the load. 
And we get this picture of what that should look like in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is one of the most important passages in all the New Testament about the church of Jesus Christ, God's people. This passage, Luke writes it, it just paints a picture for us of what a next-gen church should look like, what we must be if we're going to impact the next generation. Let me read it, and you follow along. Luke writes, beginning in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now Luke gives us here kind of this, you know, uh, 1080 HD picture, high resolution picture of what every church ought to look like. And this is the kind of church that, that all of us here at Southland should desire to be. And there's one thing I want you to see that marks these people who are following Christ. One thing above all else, and I believe it's the central mark of a next-gen church, it is this, everyone is pursuing full devotion. Uh, the, the words which point us to that uh, are in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves. This word devote just means giving 100%. It means putting God and putting God's purposes in first place in our lives. Someone some time ago has said that in America, we worship our work and we work at our play and we play at our worship. See, how often really does God in his agenda get our, our leftovers, leftover time, leftover energy, leftover resources? This passage reminds us that anything less than full devotion is less than God's plan for us and for the life of his church. We're going to walk our way through this passage, and as we do, I want you to see five marks of a, a next-gen church. We're just going to kind of take them as they appear in Luke's description of the church. And here's the first one, a, a next-gen church is a church where everyone expects to become more like Jesus. See, the church that impacts the next generation is a place where everyone wants to grow. It's a place where we are not satisfied with where we are, the status quo. Luke writes in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I don't know if you know this or not, but the primary word in the New Testament for a Christ follower is not Christian. The primary word the writers use is disciple. Literally, this Greek word, it's the Greek word mathetes. We get mathematics from this word. The word literally means a learner. And the idea of the word is not so much the learning of facts or truth as it is the modeling of one's life on the life of the teacher, on the life of the master. Romans 8, 29 tells us that God has saved us so that we might be conformed to the likeness of his son. Do you have goals? Who has goals? Anybody here have goals? See, what's your number one goal in life? Do you know what that goal is? Let me tell you this morning what God's number one goal in life for you is. That is to be like his son, Jesus Christ. That's God's number one goal for you. How does that happen? Well, 
It happens primarily, fundamentally, as we expose ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And that means God's word. That means the scriptures. And we need that teaching, and we need that teaching all the time, don't we? We need it because we are not who we should be. We, we need to become still more like Jesus. One of the images we find all through God's word for the change that we need in our lives is the image of cleansing. And the Bible says there are areas in our lives that need to be cleansed. And God's word is what does that. Ephesians 5.26 says that our lives are cleansed by the washing of water through the word. God's word washes our lives and makes us clean. And just think a minute for, about what it means to be washed. See, one of the real marks of growth and maturity is a desire to be clean. Wouldn't you agree with that, all of you parents? <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking about my four kids as they were, they were growing up. And like all kids, they, they went through different stages as it relates to bathing. You know, as teenagers, taking a bath became almost like a religious experience. In this room where that happens, there's like all these things that smell good, maybe candles sometimes. It's like a holy place, and they go in there, and they never want to leave. You know, sometimes they wash themselves so much, you start wondering if their skin's going to fall off. But then there was that time earlier, remember that? When our, our kids, like your kids, they saw that place more like the holy of holies. You know, the place where you only go one time a year. <laughs> In fact, one time one of our kids said, you know what's great about being my age? You don't need any deodorant. <laughs> that kid didn't have a real active social life, you know. And so what happens when you wash? When you wash, soap lifts away the impurities. It leaves everything the way it was originally intended to be, just clean, just clean. Do you understand how much God desires for you to become like his son? How much God longs for your heart to change? How much God longs to set you free from crippling anxieties, from poisonous bitterness, from jealousy and greed and lust? See, God wants to do all of those things in every one of our lives. And sometimes for some of us, the problem is that we don't really expect to grow. The problem is we don't expect to change. We have settled. We've become content where we are. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Anybody here want to know what God's will is for your life? If you do, you need to do what Paul says. You need to devote your entire self to God. And God's will is that you become like his son, Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why we are here. See, our church's mission statement, you've heard it before, is to help people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And we have a passion to grow here. And that simply means 
You know, if you're fully devoted, it just means you're not content to stay the way you are. We're not what we are supposed to be yet, but we're always moving toward that. We're always striving for that every day, seeking to become more and more like Jesus Christ as he changes us. You know, sometimes people kind of think that full devotion is sort of like this advanced stage of elite discipleship. You know, the New Testament knows nothing of that kind of thinking. The New Testament makes it very clear. Jesus says it, the apostles say it, that, that pursuing full devotion to Christ and his kingdom is just normal for every believer. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And so a huge part of this next-gen season is going to be you and I opening ourselves to God and opening ourselves to his will for each of our lives. I just want to start here today. Are you seeking to become more like Jesus Christ? Do you expect that to happen in your life? See, that's God's will. And a church that impacts the next generation, it only happens when everyone, say everyone, when everyone is seeking to become more like Jesus. Here's the second thing. A next-gen church is a place where everyone experiences life together. It's a place where people are passionate about connecting with with other believers. The New Testament calls this passion for connection, fellowship. And Luke writes in this passage, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You know, the Bible says the church is a family and we are to be members of that family And that means that when the church is functioning as the church, it means that we are intimately involved in each other's lives. And there's a reason for that. I hope you've discovered this. The reason is this. You can't do life alone. You just can't. We we cannot become like Jesus Christ on our own. We must do it together. That's why we believe here that life change happens best through authentic relationships. We need other people. And it's so easy in this context in which we live to miss that. You know, about 70% of the people in our area commute to work. And this is many of you. I know that there are some of you that spend three hours every day on the road. And then you take that and put it on top of a busy suburban lifestyle. We are busy, busy people with crowded, crowded schedules. And sometimes we end up with very little time left for relationships. And because of that, honestly... Many people in Tracy and Mountain House and Lathrop are just lonely. They're lonely. You see, a church that impacts the next generation is a church that does life together. And it's just amazing to me sometimes how how we can allow busyness and stress to cause ourselves to just live in relational isolation, which is really death. I've told you about this before. Uh, In his best-selling book, Bowling Alone, Harvard researcher, sociologist Robert Putnam cites research that has found that relationally isolated people are three times more likely to die than relationally connected people. He said, if you do nothing else, join a small group. It will cut the odds of your dying in this next year in half. That's why I told our new small groups pastor, Chris Martinez, when he came here, that our Southman small group motto is this, join a group or die. (laughs) 
Putnam. Putnam cites a, a, a study that was done in Alameda County, just over the hill, and it's one of the most significant long-term studies of relational connectedness. This study found, and they did it over many years with thousands of people, it found that people with bad health habits like smoking, poor eating patterns, obesity, alcohol use, people with those habits but strong social ties, those people live significantly longer than people who have great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it is better to eat Krispy Kreme with good friends than broccoli all by yourself. (laughs) This is just science, people. I'm not making it up, okay? There was another study that was done that took 276 volunteers and infected them with the virus that produces the common cold. And, and again, I'm, I'm not making this up. It found that people with stronger emotional and relational connections, they did four times better fighting off illness than those who are more isolated. The relationally connected group was less susceptible to colds. They spread less virus. And they also, also produced significantly less mucus than relationally unconnected people. This is in this study. I'm telling you, it's literally true. Unfriendly people are snottier than friendly people. (laughs) Just true. Science again. I mean, now here's the thing. If, If deep relationships are important for your physical health, they are indispensable for your spiritual health. See, around here, our best shot at making this happen is through small groups. And this is just an amazing thing for me as a pastor. Almost every week, I have conversations with people who who need guidance about their job or or some real nasty relational issue. They're struggling with the sin. They've maybe gone through a loss. They just need help. And I always end up asking a question to them as part of our conversation. And the question is, are you in a small group? And more often than not, they'll say no. No. And I'll ask them why. And you know what they, what, what they always say? I'm too busy. Or I tried once. And I usually say, try again. Try again. Because nobody can follow Jesus alone. See, as your pastor, one of the things I'm dreaming of is just a church that is full of people living in rich, authentic relationships with one another. You've heard that uh, Next Gen is about reaching our region, and, and part of that is that we are dreaming about a 1,000 adults in small groups in the next five years all across the West San Joaquin Valley, a 1,000 lives being changed forever through relationships, and it's even happening right now. Last week, we, we were able to launch six new small groups, including one new group in Mountain House and our very first ever small group in Lathrop. So we're excited about that. The, the new Mountain House group, uh, some of you may be very interested in this, starts today. And we have a host, but we actually don't have a home. And so there may be someone here today who's in Mountain House, and you will say, you know what? You can meet in my house because I want to be part of, of a group. So if, if that's you, then you need to talk to Pastor Chris Martinez, and he'll help you with that. The Lathrop group starts on Wednesday, and if you want to get involved in that, check out swcurrent.org or talk to Chris. You don't even have to log in at swcurrent if you don't want to, but you really should want to. And if you get there, just click on find a group in the upper right-hand corner, and you will be good to go. Because in a next-gen church, we really, really believe that everyone 
experiences life together. That's the best way to live. Here, here's the third thing we see. In a next-gen church, everyone discovers their greatest joy in God. This is a place, the next-gen churches, where, where Christ followers passionately worship God. Luke writes, they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, all these phrases are really about worship. And these early Christ followers were focused on worshiping God. And it didn't just happen on Sunday for one hour. It happened every day. And there's the reason why. I'm convinced that it happened every day because they believe with all their hearts something very important, and it's this, that God is better than anything else in all the world. Do you believe that? Or do you just talk about it? Do you just say it? Part of what I would remind us today is that we will never impact the lives of the people around us until we settle this issue. Do, you, do we value God above everything else in our life? Is he our highest priority You remember what Jesus said, the great commandment is, the number one commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength. All. To put him first. You ever thought about why loving God is the most important command? It's because God is the most important person in the universe. There is no one, there is no thing as important as God. And the Bible is so clear. When we, get, when we get those things out of order, that's what the Bible calls sin. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. See, we need to be a people who, who are believing that, that God is better than anything else in all the world. And then we reorient our lives around that conviction. We, we, we make our lives about, about God more than anything else. Everything flows from that, that belief. So one of the things next gen is going to do is call some of us to face the reality that we don't find our greatest joy in God. We, we put it somewhere else. And I just want to remind us today that we will only be this kind of a church that impacts the next generation as we become more and more and more a church where, where we are finding our greatest joy in God because when people see that joy that we have, they will want to know why. They will be compelled to ask why and we will have a chance to tell them how good God is and what God has done in our lives and what God can do in their lives. See, is God better to you? than anything else in all the world? Is he your number one value? And if he's not, here's the question I want to ask you today. Are you willing to ask him to forgive you for that? Are you willing to repent? Say, we want to be a church. We want to be a place where we love God and we find our greatest joy in God more than anything else. Number four, a next-gen church is a church where everyone gets excited about serving others. People are passionate about that. Again, Luke writes, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. In other words, this early church was a place where Christ followers saw needs and then they served to meet those needs. The Bible just is very clear that God intends for every believer to have a ministry, a place of service. The Bible teaches that every one of us who knows Jesus, we have been given at least one spiritual gift, a a special empowerment from God to serve him and serve others. And God actually expects for us to use that gift. He actually expects all the things that he's blessed us with, 
our talents and our resources. He actually expects us to use those not just for ourselves, but to bless other people. And we like to say around Southwinds that every member is a minister. That just reminds each of us that you weren't put here on earth just to take up space. That God gave you what you have for a reason, and that is to use it and to use it in ministry. Sometimes we get a little, a little confused about ministry. We think it's some big formal thing, but it's actually this. Anytime you use your gifts or abilities, anything that God's given you, you use it to help someone, serve someone else, that's ministry. It may be formal. It may be informal. It's all ministry. And you need to be doing ministry. You need to be serving other people. That's what it means to follow Christ. You were made for ministry. You know, one day, every single one of us is going to stand before God, and God's going to ask us about our lives. And one of the things he's going to ask us is, what was your ministry? How did you serve? How did you give back? And it's our job here as a church to help each of you discover and develop your ministry. It's your job to use what God has given you. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's masterpiece He created us anew in Christ Jesus, and long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Let's put it this way. If we're going to impact the next generation, we all must serve because there are all around us thousands and thousands of exploring people who need someone to introduce them to Jesus, to help them with their questions. All around us, there are spiritual infants who need someone to help them grow up. All around us, there are lonely people who need someone to host a small group where they can find friends. Every week here at Southwinds, there are 300 kids coming here. Some of them are coming from broken homes, and they need an adult who will embody God's love to them and show them what it means to walk with Jesus and know Jesus. Every week, there are hundreds of adolescents here on our campus with hormones exploding all over their bodies, and they need some adults to love them and care for them and give them the guidance and help them answer the questions they have. You go outside our campus and all across our city, there are needy people in Tracy and in Mountain House and in Lathrop who need someone who will care for them and help them with the needs. And then all around our world, there are under-resourced tribes and, and nations that God has gifted us to share with, to serve. I mean, can you imagine what it would be like here at Southwinds if we were a church where everyone, everyone was doing all these things and even more. See, one of the reasons why, why completing next gen is, is so crucial is it will enlarge our foundation and therefore expand our ability to serve other people. That's what we want to do. That's what we're dreaming about. Next Gen Church is a church where everyone is excited about serving others. Finally, a Next Gen Church is a church where everyone lives as if lost people matter. I'll put it this way. It's a place where Christ followers get excited and passionate about sharing their faith, about sharing the good news. It says in verse 47, a remarkable verse, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. It's striking to read about a church where people are getting saved every single day, right? I mean, wouldn't you like to be part of a church family where that sort of thing is happening? 
Why do we find that so unusual? Why is that so attractive? Why do we not see that all the time? And I think it actually boils down to this. It actually boils down to the reality that in most churches, so few of us actually live as if lost people matter. You know, I've told a number of you this before, but let me just make it really personal. Let me focus it down to where you live. Here's the reality. On your street, the average street in Tracy or Mountain House or Lathrop, four out of five of your neighbors have never personally encountered the risen Jesus Christ. I looked some statistics up this week, and there are 85-some thousand people in Tracy. There are about 15,000 people in Mountain House. There are about 20,000 people in Lathrop. Add that together, 120,000 people. That's our mission field. And the reality, friends, is this. Over 100,000 of those people do not know Jesus Christ. They do not know his forgiveness. They do not know the freedom that he wants to give them. They don't know him. And they must matter to us. They matter to God. The Father sent his son so they might be saved. See, what if we were to become a church where all of our hearts break at the thought of anyone on our streets spending eternity separated from God? What if we were a church where we were actually willing to reorient our lives, to give up our comfort to set aside our preferences to reach out to anyone who needs Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing to think about, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this one, but I want you to think about this. The question is, how many of you here right now had your life, had your eternal destiny changed because of someone here at this church? Many of you all across the room, I've baptized scores of you sitting in here right now, I know, over the last few years. Here's the reality. Even if it didn't happen here, I know this to be a fact. Everyone seated here came to know Jesus Christ, came to experience his grace and salvation because someone, someone, somewhere shared the good news with you, right? Someone live their life as if lost people matter to God and therefore matter to them. And because of that, you came to know Jesus Christ. See, next gen, next gen is about allowing God to work through us so that our lives are changed forever. And as a result of that, so that the eternal destinies of thousands of people are changed from death to life. It really is that significant. I want to close with a story. It's a story that a man named Tony Campolo, a Christian sociologist, told a few years ago. And Tony was, was speaking in Hawaii one time, and he lives on the East Coast, and he was in Hawaii, and because of the time change, he got up real early in the morning. He was just feeling hungry. It was actually about 3.30, and he said he found his way to a diner, and he said while he was sitting there, the diner door suddenly swung open, and, and to my discomfort, in March, eight or nine provocative and boisterous prostitutes. He said it was a small place, and they sat on either side of me. Their talk was loud and crude. I felt completely out of place and was just about to make my getaway when I overheard the woman sitting beside me say, tomorrow's my birthday. I'm going to be 39. Her friend responded in a nasty tone. So what do you want from me, a birthday party? What do you want? 
me to get you a cake and sing happy birthday or something? The woman sitting next to me said, come on, I was just telling you it's my birthday. I don't want anything. I, I never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Tony writes, when I heard that, I made a decision. I sat and waited until the women left, and then I called to the guy behind the counter. I said to him, do they come in here every night? And he said, yeah. I asked the one right next to me, does she come here every night? And he said, yeah, that's Agnes. She comes here every night. Why do you want to know? I told him, because I heard her say tomorrow's her, her birthday. What do you say that you and I do something about that? What do you think about us throwing a birthday party for her right here tomorrow night? This guy loved the idea. He told his wife, and she said, that's wonderful. You know, Agnes is one of the nicest people I know, one of those people who's really kind, and no one ever does anything nice and kind to her. I said, look, if it's okay with you, I'll come back tomorrow morning about 2.30, and I'll decorate the place. I'll even get a birthday cake. No way, said Harry. That was his name. No way. The birthday cake's my thing. I'll make the cake. Tony says, at 2.30 the next morning, I was back at the diner. I'd picked up crepe paper, decorations, made a sign on a big piece of cardboard that read, Happy Birthday, Agnes. I decorated that diner from one end to the other. I had it looking good. And the woman who did the cooking, well, she must have gotten the word out on the street because by 3.15, every prostitute in Honolulu was in the place. There were, there were wall-to-wall prostitutes and me. And Tony writes, at 3.30 on the dot, the door of the diner swung open, and in came Agnes and her friend. I had everybody ready, and when they all came in, we screamed, happy birthday. He said, never have I seen a person so flabbergasted, so shaken. Her, her mouth fell open, her legs buckled. Her friend grabbed her arm to steady her, and as she was led to one of the stools by the counter, we all sang happy birthday to her. And when we came to the end of our singing, happy birthday, dear Agnes, happy birthday to you, her eyes moistened. And then when the birthday cake with all the candles on it was carried out, she just lost it. She openly cried. Harry gruffly mumbled, blow out the candles, Agnes. Come on, blow out the candles. If you don't blow out the candles, I'm gonna have to blow out the candles. And after a few endless seconds, he did. Then he handed her a knife. Cut the cake, Agnes. Yo, Agnes, we all want some cake. Agnes looked down at the cake. Without taking her eyes off it, she slowly and softly said, look, Harry, if, if it's all right with you, if I, I mean, what I want to ask is, is it okay if I keep the cake a little while? Is it all right if I don't eat it right away? Harry shrugged. Sure, it's okay, Agnes. If you want to keep the cake, keep the cake. You can take it home if you want. Can I? She asked. Then looking at me, she said, I just live down the street a couple doors. I want to take the cake home, okay? I'll be right back, honest. She got off the stool, picked up the cake, carrying it like it was the holy grail, and walked slowly towards the door. As we all just stood there motionless, she left. And when the door closed, there was a stunned silence in the place. And not knowing what else to do, I broke the silence by saying, what do you say we pray? Looking back on it now, it seems a little strange 
to be leading a prayer meeting with a bunch of prostitutes in a diner in Honolulu at 3.30 in the morning. But then it just felt like the right thing to do. I prayed for Agnes. I prayed for her salvation. I prayed her life would be changed. I prayed that God would be good to her. And when I finished, Harry leaned over the counter and with a trace of hostility in his voice said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And in one of those moments, when just the right words come, I answered, I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry paused a moment, then almost sneered as he answered, no, you don't. There's no church like that. If there was, I'd join it. I'd join a church like that. Well, wouldn't you? So I'm telling you today that we, we can be a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. And it's the kind of church Jesus came to create. It's the kind of church we want to be. But it's the kind of church where it takes everyone, everyone fully devoted to Jesus, everyone loving Jesus more than anyone and anything else in all the world, everyone serving the people around them, everyone loving the people who don't know God so much that we will do whatever it takes to tell them and make sure they hear the good news that changed our lives. See, that's what a next-gen church looks like. And that's what this next-gen spiritual initiative is all about. This morning, what I'm asking every one of us to do is just to join in on the next-gen journey. I'm just asking you to pray. Start praying today. Start seeking God's direction. Start asking God what his will is for your life. It's going to be different for every one of us. Being willing to do whatever he says. And that's what we're going to do for the next six weeks. We're going to go on this journey together, exploring what that means in our lives. And then when we wrap it up six weeks from now on May 22nd, Commitment Sunday, we're going to ask each person to do two things, and that is just to make a one-time initial gift and then to make a 36-month commitment. Next gen, it's going to take everyone. Can't do it with just some of us. We need all of us involved, every one of us willing to listen to God, every one of us willing to invest our lives into people that aren't here yet, into the next generation. Every one of us willing to love God and love those people more than we love ourselves. I want us to pray right now. And after we pray, we're gonna show you a, a brief video that kind of outlines for you where we're headed in the days ahead. I know you're gonna be excited to see that. So let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for this, this opportunity that you've given us to join you in your work. And Lord, we pray that as we take this next-gen journey together, that you would just be present among us in a very powerful way. We pray, Lord, that our lives will change, and because our lives are changed, the lives of many, many people yet to come will be changed forever. Lord, we are asking these things in Jesus' name for his sake, and all his people together say, amen. Hi, this is Pastor Mike. Our elder team is excited to show you what NextGen will make possible for Southwind's next generation. 
Located strategically between Tracy and Mountain House, our 16 and a half acre campus positions us to grow into a regional church that impacts thousands of families all across the West San Joaquin Valley for Jesus Christ. NextGen invests in future generations by building a 700 seat worship center that allows us to bring hundreds more of our friends to encounter the good news of Jesus. Agricultural and industrial inspired design connect us to the historic heritage of our site. The north side of our worship center will feature a beautiful window that spills natural light into our worship space. A unique cross windmill will provide a landmark that highlights our commitment to Christ and makes Southwinds more visible to the surrounding community. Curved wooden slat walls will remind us that we are a place where God's spirit moves and will also slow down those Tracy winds. A centralized courtyard where we can gather after dropping off the kids will be a great place to make new friendships. Inside, our spacious worship center lobby will be perfect for welcoming guests and meeting with friends. Grab a cup of coffee and get information about Southwind's ministries. Our worship center will provide a great environment to worship and bring friends with comfortable seating and state-of-the-art technology. Bring your cup of coffee inside. Enjoy the heartfelt worship and clear biblical messages. Just a short walk across the courtyard, our kids' space building with shaded play area will make it easy for parents to drop off and pick up their children. NextGen Phase 1 will increase our capacity for serving children and their families by over 50%. A brightly colored, expanded entry to kids' space will attract kids and provide shade for parents dropping off their little ones. An updated check-in area and clear directional design will help new friends easily find their way to classes where they can learn about God's love. For almost nine years, The Sprung has served as a great worship space. NextGen will repurpose this space and more than double our student ministry's capacity. We're designing the refinery to be a culturally relevant tool that attracts 21st century teenagers, a place where they can hear the gospel, grow spiritually, and connect with adult leaders and other teens. And we promise the cool factor will be off the hook. NextGen Phase 2 will add 300 seats to the worship center, an even more spacious lobby, as well as a brand new children's building for our littlest ones. Tucked in on the south side of the worship center will be a new administration building, which will allow us to open up the current church office area to kids' space. NextGen Phase 2 will also add parking on the south of our worship center and an additional Lammers Road entrance to our campus. When Phase 2 is complete, NextGen will provide 28,000 square feet of ministry space just to reach the next generation. More space than both of Southwind's current buildings combined. NextGen is Southwind's next step. God has called us to tell the next generation of His wonders. Just think of the thousands of people who will meet Jesus as all of us together join the NextGen journey. 